From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Mullady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Thursday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Dominican Father Brian Mullady is in the house. If you've got a question or comment, the number to call is 833-288-EWTN. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America, 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, your number is one 205 Two seven one two nine eight five, and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five. You can always send us an email, open line at ewtn.com, or you can text your question, text the letters EWTN to five five zero zero zero. Wait for a response, text your first name and your question, message, and data rates may apply. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall producing the program, Matt Gubensky screening our phone calls, and our host as he is every single Thursday, Father Brian Milady, how are you? Great, hi there. And I should mention also that Jeff Burson, magnificent person, is handling our social media efforts, so if you're watching The Good Padre on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. Um, you know, sometimes, Father... Uh, Great, devout men live a holy life almost from birth. Um, our Blessed Mother, obviously born without the stain of original sin, holy and blameless throughout her earthly existence. But some of the greatest saints, not so much. Exactly. And I wanted to talk about one in particular today because his feast day is coming up. And the Dominicans follow his rule. And that is St. Augustine. I also wanted to talk about it in the context of the fact that we live in a passing world. Now, think about this with regard to all the things we're experiencing now in the craziness of our world today. This is a text that says, The world has now grown old and does not abide in that strength in which it formerly stood, nor has it that vigor and force which it formerly possessed. This even were we silent, if we allege no proofs from sacred scripture or divine declarations, the world itself is now announcing and bearing witness to its decline. In the winter, there is not such an abundance of showers for nourishing the seeds. In the summer, the sun has not so much heat for cherishing the harvest. Nor in the spring season are the grain fields so joyous nor are the autumnal seasons so fruitful in their leafy products. The layers of marble are dug out in less quantity from the disemboweled and weary mountains. The diminished quantities of gold and silver suggest the early exhaustion of the metals. The husband, husbandman, the farmer, is failing in the fields, the sailor at sea, the soldier in the camp, innocence in the market, Justice in the tribunal, concord and friendship, 
skills, skillfulness in the arts, discipline in morals. Thus, in her declining course, the moon wanes with exhausted horns on the tree, which before had been green and fruitful as its branches dry up, becomes by and by misshapen in a barren old age, and the fountain, which once um, gave scarcely gives moisture. This is the sentence passed on the world. This is God's law, that everything that has had a beginning should perish, and the things that have grown should become old, and the strong things should become weak, and great things become small, and that when they have been weakened and diminished, they should come to an end. Now, this was written in the 4th century by St. Cyprian. And many people today are throwing up their hands about the world, the world's going to the dogs, we must be in the final times. Well, this is the world into which St. Augustine was born. And it was during his lifetime that Rome was sacked by the barbarians, by Alaric and the barbarians. And St. Jerome, writing from Palestine, thought, oh, the world can't be safe, everything's gone, etc. Well, St. Augustine, whom, as you mentioned, had difficulty converting to the faith, it only took him, what, 35 years, I think, and the tears of his mother, to finally, in that fateful day in the garden, when he heard the voice say, take up and read, and he read from St. Paul's letter to the Romans that he needed to convert, and he converted. This world could have seemed to be the final passing world. And St. Augustine, reflecting on this whole thing, said, you know, it was never that great a world to begin with, first of all. Though it's true that Rome was a great city and reigned for a thousand years, it was basically built on slavery. And some people had accused the Christian religion of being responsible for the Roman decline. And St. Augustine, in his great work, The City of God, was absolutely opposed to this. He experienced many, many difficulties in his life. And as you know, when he was a young man, he'd been in a kind of common law marriage with a woman who died. And he had a son, Adeodatus, who died from that. He was not yet converted. His mother kept crying, crying, and praying, say, Monica. And when he finally did convert, he converted with a vengeance, really. And he became an extremely famous preacher because he was a famous orator. And all of his ideas were highly influential and still are in the church today. He's called the doctrine of grace because he emphasized the fact that this world, of course it's passing, of course we're on a pilgrimage here because we're preparing ourselves for the final fulfillment of our nature. Remember, it's to him we owe the famous line, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. And then there's a marvelous, marvelous quotation St. Thomas uses, which is really a little complicated to understand. But if a person understands it, it kind of summarizes all of philosophy and theology, and it's from his confessions. As you know, this is a unique book in the history of the world because it's really the first time in history when a person wrote an inward reflection about his own moral difficulties and psychological issues. In that book, he says this, Unhappy is the one who does not know you, God, even if he knows all the things in the world. Happy is the one who knows you, 
even if he knows nothing else. And the one who knows you and all the other things isn't any happier for knowing all the other things than he would be for knowing you alone. In other words, what Augustine perceived was the dynamism of our minds, which rightly is enticed and wonders at all the different explanations for the things here on earth. That's why we're not against reason. Reason is very beautiful. But it reaches a wall because the mind still wants to know directly the uh, underlying final explanation. And that would be the nature of God. And we can't do that without grace. And so grace is absolutely necessary, not just because we commit sin. It is necessary for that. But even if there had been no sin, we would still need grace in order for us to go to heaven. Interestingly, as St. Augustine was buying, you know, his dying society was symbolized by the fact that the city of which he was a bishop, Hippo, in North Africa, was being besieged by the Vandals, a terrible barbarian tribe who were famous for scorched earth of everything they conquered. And as Augustine was dying, he had the verses of all the Psalms painted on the walls around his room so he could meditate and contemplate God. Of course, he died, fortunately, before the Vandals actually conquered the city. But imagine, here you are in your deathbed, after you spent your whole life as a Christian, as a bishop, serving others, to have your society being totally undercut in everything by this terribly difficult and ferocious, really, barbarian tribe that would probably lead not only to the conquering of your city, but to it being reduced to rubble and everyone killed in it. So as we're tempted to think sometimes that we're unique in our world by the fact that things are somewhat in decline, we need to remember that that's often been the case in Christian history. But as St. Augustine found his hope in heaven, so must we find our hope in heaven and in grace. And even though in the Vatican Council was very true about this, we have a responsibility for this passing age. It is, after all, only passing. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. From Rome to your home with the news from EWTN's Vatican Bureau, you can watch all the important events in Rome even if you don't have TV access. Using the latest technology, we've made it possible to watch the latest news from the Holy See all delivered to your home via live streams. From Rome to your home, the EWTN Vatican Bureau brings you the coverage you won't want to miss. Watch live at, at EWTN's YouTube channel. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.
833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. We have an email from Angela, Father, and it says, My co-worker said he believes Luther and Jonathan Edwards to be some of the greatest theologians on par with Thomas Aquinas. I was stumped and not sure how to respond to my coworker. What would you say? Uh, well, I'd say he's <laughs> hasn't read very deeply into Luther or Jonathan Edwards, or more to the point, Thomas Aquinas. Uh, Luther was a strange, strange man. He had a lot of psychological issues, as you know. And I think he was rather superficial as a theologian. Jonathan Edwards, as I recall, wasn't really a theologian. He was more of a practical preacher in the Methodist tradition. And he had to do with the Great Awakening in, in uh, the United States, which occurred before the American Revolution, uh, in which they tried to get rid of the formalism of the Anglican Church and return to kind of interest in spiritual matters. What I will tell you is this, that John Wesley, who was the founder of the um, Methodists, one of his most treasured books was The Imitation of Christ. And he certainly thought that those things were much deeper than what he was saying. Uh, again, whoever says things like that, whatever they may know about Luther, Jonathan Edwards, they've read extremely superficially in St. Thomas. So I, I don't think it's, it's, it's true. And it's sad that they haven't bothered to read more deeply in St. Thomas. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America, 833-288-3986. First up is Rachel in the Republic of Texas, listening on Guadalupe Radio. Rachel, you are on with Father Brian. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I just have a quick question. Um, so back in um, the end of last year, my mother passed with COVID and, you know, we had asked for a priest to go in and pray with her and give her last rites and everything. And of course the hospital wouldn't allow them to do that because of the situation. So I was right. just curious, how did, you know, since she wasn't able to be given, you know, those last sacraments, how, you know, how does that work for her? Well, her, her life is, Hopefully, a life lived in grace, and that's what matters. Um, the anointing of the sick, as you know, isn't just for the death period now. It's also to help strengthen people during their lives with illness and things that are physically very taxing. Uh, it's helpful, of course. It's like the uh, preparation for the body and the soul for the final experience of the separation of the two. And also, of course, the priest could give this without having to be there physically, uh, the final commendation with the apostolic pardon. But, um, you know, we, it's not, they're not necessary sacraments. The necessary sacraments are baptism and Holy Eucharist. And if she's been receiving Holy Communion her whole life, it's wonderful to have the anointing of the sick. It kind of puts a final period to a Christian's development but it's not a necessary sacrament. That's how it works. Is that helpful for you? And on my mind, so I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Surely. Uh -huh. Not to mention, Father, our Lord knows what's up, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. 
Well, and like I say, uh, the anointing of the sick is created by Christ to help us with illness, and especially as also as a preparation for death. But what one can prepare, one is really preparing for death their whole life. And one act done from charity is sufficient to merit heaven. So that's Eight, what people yeah. should Eight three three two eight eight E W T N is our toll free number. We've got a couple of open lines and plenty of time for your calls at eight three three two eight eight three nine eight six. We got a question from Sam, and, and we field this from from time to time, and it's always a, a it's always good to cover every so often. He wants to know what the Catholic teaching says about the use of recreational marijuana. Oh, uh, don't do it. Uh, I know that people think it's like alcohol, but it's not. And for one thing, it's the doorway to other drugs. And for another thing, if you get a bad trip, it can destroy your mind. You know, we tried to encourage the kids when I taught Catholic high school in the 70s not to use marijuana because in Los Angeles, I think at least half had tried it if not three-quarters had tried it, and maybe a third were using it. You could tell a stonehead when he came to class, a pothead, in the morning. And it was sad because you had a lot of people from Beverly Hills whose parents would go away for the weekend and leave them $600 alone and wonder why they became drug addicts. But I remember we had a brother whose cousin had taken marijuana recreationally, and he got a bad batch and a bad trip. And I understand, I don't know a great deal about this, but it's much more potent now than it was when I was in the you know, 1970s. That it basically destroyed this kid's brain at 18. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's true that alcohol can make you inebriated. And if you drink enough of it, it could kill you probably. But you really have to go a long ways to do that. It's not hard to do with marijuana. And I know that... Um, this recreational use thing is like a uh, it's like a cancer in this country as a doorway to other drugs uh, as to its medicinal use i leave that up to doctors but recreational use is not moral in my opinion thanks so much we appreciate that email uh, a couple of open lines for you still at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Next up is Tom in Grand Rapids, Michigan, um, listening on Holy Family Radio. Tom, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Hi, Tom. Well, hello, Father. Thank you so much for taking my call. It's uh, I have to give you a little background here. Is, uh, throughout high, I'm 63 now. Throughout high school, uh, grade school, school, I had a very close friend. We'll call him John. And the year after high school, which is 1977, he had written, he wrote me a letter saying he is homosexual. Never had any case of that. And I thought I was just shocked and upset, not angry, not disgusted, just at the, Oh no. Oh no. So I, like I was a coward. I never responded back. Then about a year after that, his mother called my home and said, would you call me about Jim? Oh, sorry, John, <laughs> too late. Um, uh, and I, I didn't, and about two or three years after that, I saw him at a botanical garden with his father in a wheel. His father's in a wheelchair. And did nothing. I kind of avoided. He didn't see me. So, I what's your question? Through. My question is: I think I was negligent and wrong to not have responded right away to that letter with love and charity, saying, "I pray for you." I I, I go by what the Holy Mother Church teaches, but I'm not going to preach them or saying, you know. So, is that a sin of 
omission that I did, that I didn't say something or do something? Well, I don't believe you're morally obligated to do something. It's just one of your friends, that's all. Um, but in charity, you might wish to do something. Remember now, the whole the church doesn't condemn the orientation as such. It condemns the actions that result from it. So had you responded in charity, you might have told him that, that God loves him despite the fact that he has this orientation. But like everyone, since sexuality has to do with children and marriage, he can't uh, act out on this with any actions that would be considered immoral. And just as a heterosexual having adultery would be considered immoral, so a homosexual having homosexual actions or living the gay lifestyle would be considered immoral too. But the orientation itself isn't immoral. A person has to struggle with it, just as we have to struggle with chastity too. Everybody has to struggle with chastity. 833-288-EWTN. It's our toll-free number. Free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Claire is in Freehold, New Jersey. She's listening at EWTN.com. Claire, you are on with Father Brian Malady. Hi, Claire. Hello, Father Malady. With a D, Malady. Malady. <laughs> well, I know your voice anywhere. Oh, good. So, this is my question. Thank you for talking about St. Augustine and St. Monica. I feel Mike, my son, is a modern-day St. Augustine. He's been very terrible lately, and he is pretty much um, has resolved to kind of remove himself from the house. But I, I pray a lot. How often and how long did St. Monica pray for her, her son? That's my question. Okay. Uh, well, Augustine converted when he was 35, basically, or in his late, in the middle 30s. So she prayed that long. And, of course, he always attributed his conversion to the tears of his mother. And you remember that after he was baptized in uh, Milan by St. Ambrose, the uh, Monica was there, and they were on their way back to Africa, and they stopped at the then port of Rome, which was Ostia Antica. And they had a mystical experience together of Christ. And then she told him that she was dying. And he was weeping, and uh, she, and he wanted to take, wait her to wait till, if she could, till they got back to Africa so she could bury him, her there. And he, she responded, don't weep for me. The only reason I stayed here on earth was to pray that you become a Catholic Christian. And what I've witnessed now has fulfilled my prayers. And also, I don't care where you bury me. Just bury me here, because my life has been fulfilled in your conversion. How's that, Mary Jo? Or Claire, excuse me, I'm sorry. Claire, <laughs> it's perfect. It's a long time to wait, but I'm willing to do that. Oh, yeah, never give up. <laughs> I haven't yeah, given up in my family. <laughs> have you ever seen anything, uh, Father Brian? I never have. Have you ever seen anything about any particular disciplines that she may have had uh, in regard to... You mean concerning her, her prayers? Yeah. Uh, not that I know of, not that I remember, no. 
Yeah, but very good. She Thanks, wept Claire. We a appreciate lot. the call. 833 288 EWTN is our toll free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833 288 3986. Unfettered access to a Dominican, Father Brian Mullady here on EWTN's okay. <laughs> Open Line Thursday. Uh, all right, Dave. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. One open line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Next up is Mary Jo in Brandenburg, Kentucky, listening to EWTN Radio. Mary Jo, thanks for holding. Welcome to the program. Well, you're welcome. I have a question about how do you properly dispose of an Ouija board? <laughs> Throw it out. <laughs> just throw it out you don't burn it or anything well it's not a holy object is it i don't think so it's an unholy object um if you wanted to keep anybody else from using it i suppose that would be a very very good method for keeping other people from using it but uh no get rid of it do not play around with that stuff you know but you don't have the, the mandates to dispose of it in a particular manner as you would a, a holy object. Yeah, it's not. It's 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 just the opposite. <laughs> yeah. so. Break it in half or something. So yeah, nobody else can use it. Does that help you, Mary Jo? That helps. Yes, thank you. All right, terrific. Thanks Shirley. for the phone call. We appreciate it. Sure. Eight three three two eight eight E W T N. That's eight three three two eight eight. Three nine eight six. Next up is Phil in Springfield, Illinois, listening to EWTN on Covenant Radio. Phil, you are on with Father Brian Mullady. Thank you, and thanks for taking my call. My question is about Judas. Um, this may sound like an odd statement, but I always thought Judas kind of got a bad rap. I mean, he was put in a position, a no-win position, and my question really is, did he believe Jesus was the Son of God? Well, all we know about Judas is what we know from the scripture. Uh, I don't know if he believed he was the son of God or not. He certainly was instructed in that. He certainly seemed to go along with it for a while. And Jesus was not in a, Judas was not in a no-win situation because as is the case with Peter, he could always repent. But he didn't repent. And remember, Jesus gives him all the possibilities of repentance. Um, he uh, Peter also denies Christ, and he receives a, an aid from Christ to help prepare him for repentance. And that's the famous look that Jesus gives him. Remember when he comes out from the court, and Peter's made the third denial, and then Jesus looks at him, and he's so overcome by that that he weeps bitterly and um, uh, repents. The famous uh, invitation by Christ for Judas to repentance is the kiss in the garden and back to great intimacy on the part of Christ. And yet Judas doesn't do it. He closes his heart to it. Um, it was a, Bishop Sheehan used to give a very interesting homily on this, and it was about priests who fall away. They used to be called Judas priests, you know. 
And he say, just think, had Judas been more open, he could have been St. Judas, just like Peter is St. Peter, had he been open to repentance. But he's not in a no-win situation. He can always choose to repent. And Christ invites him to do that, but he refuses. And we don't know exactly why that is. Some of it is because of avarice, probably, because of the money. I know that there are lots of reflections on Judas today in the films and things that he thought Jesus was going to be this political liberator and he was disappointed in it. But that's all conjecture. It's very mysterious, the whole thing in Scripture. All we know is that Jesus constantly says he's lost, but he chose to be lost. He will be lost, but he chose to be lost. And uh, it's very sad, but... Thanks so much. We appreciate that call. 833-288-EWTN. One open line for you at 833-288-3986. That's the number Kathy used. She's in Boston, Massachusetts, listening to the Station of the Cross. Kathy, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Hi. Yes. Hi there, Father. Hi, Jack. Um, a question. Um, my nephew got civilly married a couple of months ago. He didn't get a dispensation from the church. He married a, a Jewish girl. And my question now is, Is does the church consider that a valid marriage, or does it look at it as still living in fornication? Um, let's see. I, was, I don't know if I was paying full attention. He was uh, married by a justice of the peace, was he? He was married by his gay uncle. Uh, and what, what competence does he have to marry? Uh, none. He got a dispensation or whatever from the, the state, from the Justice of the Peace, I presume. So nowadays, and, yeah, nowadays uh, anyone okay. can marry anyone. All right. Well, Catholics are bound to the Catholic form. So if you don't get married before a priest, and the, you know, marriage before a priest doesn't mean the priest has to do it, but he has to be present in the name of the church. Uh, normally, he does it, but on a few occasions. He does. He's just present and witnesses it. Um, you have to do that. And if you don't, then you are living in fornication. Protestants and other religions aren't bound to the Catholic form. They're bound to whatever form their religion recognizes as, well, in the Protestant case, it would be Christian marriage. We would consider that, for the mainstream Protestants, to be a sacramental marriage if they're properly baptized. Because remember, the ministers of marriage are the couple. So if they recognize justice of the peace marriage as Christian marriage, then they would be considered sacramentally married. As the non-Catholics, like the Jews, they're not sacramentally married, but they certainly indissolubly married uh, from the natural order if their religion recognizes that as the means to do that. But Catholics are bound to the Catholic form, so we would not consider them married the eyes of God, and as a result, they'd be committing adultery. Thanks, Kathy. 833-288-EWTN. Still plenty of time for your calls at 833-288-3986. We head next to the great state of Georgia. Tony is in Georgia listening to The Quest out of Atlanta. Tony, you are on with Father Brian Mullady. Hello. Hello. I have an atheist friend, and he asked me this one question. If there is a God, why do innocent children suffer and die? 
Well, innocent children suffer and die uh, because that's, it depends on what you mean. Uh, their re- death, the, what's responsible for their death is the fact that, A, they have a material body. So if it's a disease or something, it's the way matter exists. It's no judgment on their morals or anything. And if it's a human being that does that, it's their responsibility and their freedom. You know, if you have uh, an evil state that commits mass genocide, or unfortunately today, we have even Catholic mothers and fathers who kill their own children in abortion. Okay, it's not, and they're innocent too. It's not their fault uh, in any sense. It's the people who did it to them. And in order for us to preserve all these things from happening, we have to do away with freedom on the part of human beings, and we have to try to change nature, which, unfortunately, the way nature works is what's life for one thing is death for another. So what's good for the, um, the germ, the virus, our, we have a virus problem now, is bad for human beings. But that's the way matter works. One thing lives off another. So, you know, cows can't live unless they eat grass. And grass can't live unless it changes water and air and nutrients into itself, which destroys them. So the good God, in his wisdom, has produced this order which is both physical and moral. Unfortunately, there are some who uh, physically experience the limitations of this problem. So uh, that's the that's the answer. Does that help, Tony? Yeah, could I just ask you one other thing here about this? Sure. I, I believe what he's saying is this. Why doesn't a good God protect an innocent child? It's one thing for us as adults who have sinned, but an innocent child, why doesn't God protect an innocent child? Well, in order for him to protect the child, he'd have to change the laws of nature if it was a physical issue or if it was a moral issue he'd have to keep the people from having freedom and uh, you know he'd have to intervene to make them slaves basically so no one is free to do anything Um, we know the innocent children don't suffer uh, in any sense physically or anything after death they don't uh, suffer a pain, for example, in hell or anything like that. So they die happy. But um, it's a, a great mystery uh, as to why God doesn't protect everybody that's innocent, for example. Why not just protect all of us from wicked people? And then in order to do that, he'd have to destroy the wicked people. To destroy the wicked people, he'd have to keep them from having their freedom because they could always repent at the end of their lives and things like that Uh, so it's very um, mysterious in some ways in other ways it's it's an expression of the divine order of the universe and remember this is not the best of all possible worlds but considering the purpose which God has made this world this world he's made it in the best way so uh, the rationalists of the 19th century thought everything had to have an explanation 
and every every explanation had to be perfectly reasonable and that uh, we ourselves our reason was so perfect that it rivaled god's and we could resolve all issues by our own intelligence well actually what that produced was the horrors of the 20th century because we're even worse at resolving this than god is in our way of looking at things I mean, God is good, always good, always wills good. But the good of one thing in matter is the evil of another thing in matter. And the good of free will, by which we're asked to choose him, is uh, very, very, very important. He does protect certain people. But why he chooses to do that is difficult for us to know. Uh, think about the three men in the fiery furnace. You know, Adrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were protected by God. So um, that's the, the, the answer. Atheists love this kind of thing. Yeah. If, they, if, they, if they could run the world, believe me, they'd be worse than, they'd be worse <laughs> like they are now. I mean, look, what innocent children are we protected now? We're killing millions of them in the womb, all in the name of reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was, it, was it Aquinas that, that articulated the, the two reasons that God allows evil? Well, one to, uh, one to prevent a greater evil, and the from other occurring, to pr- or the promote other a greater good to, to yeah. bring a, to bring about a good that couldn't have been brought about had the evil not taken place. Yeah, but God, in that sense, God only tolerates evil; He doesn't will it. Uh, he tolerates its existence. But regarding the order of the universe, I mean, He wills good. But the trouble is, for material beings, the good of one thing is the misfortune of another. Yeah. You know, the good of lions is the misfortune of deer. <laughs> yeah. You know, so. Very good. No. All right, thank you. We appreciate the phone call, Tony. Um, you know, I think one of the proofs for the existence of Godfather is good jambalaya. And we're going to head now to New Orleans, Louisiana. Colleen is in New Orleans. Let's oh, I see. <laughs> Catholic Community Radio. Colleen, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Hi. Great segue. Great segue. Thank you, Father. Um <laughs> I'm calling to ask about blessed candles. I recently used two blessed candles with images of St. Joseph, and they're burned down and completely, you know, gone to the bottom. And my question is, can I dispose of the glass that hosts oh, sure. it? Oh, sure. It would only be the candle that's blessed, yeah. Mm-hmm. As a, because, you know, because that's the essential thing. That's what you're burning, yeah. The glass is just a container, yeah. Mm-hmm. Does that put your mind at rest, Colleen? I wouldn't worry about that, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I'm sorry, wouldn't you? Awesome. Thanks so much for the question. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Be sure to check out Light of the East with Father Thomas Loya this Sunday and every Sunday morning at 11.30 Eastern Time right here on EWTN Radio. Next up here is Emily in the state of California. I'm tempted to say the People's Republic of California. Listening at (laughs) EWTN.com. Emily, you are on with Father Brian Mullady. Hello. Hi. Are you there? Hi, Emily. Hi. How are you doing? Good. Oh, good. Um, Pray for me because the doctor says I'm very sick. So that's one thing. And the second, uh, I was going to ask, and I never repeat myself, but I'm trying to repeat myself this time. 
are the priests uh, forgiven for not talking to people the way you're talking to us? And will the people be forgiven for never having a priest that uh, actually is teaching them something and they never thought, uh, they, they never got that uh, lesson that you're giving us? Because I feel like uh, I've lived all my life and I haven't never heard uh, people talk the way you talk. And, uh, you know, is there forgiven for ignorance? Uh, yes, it's called invincible ignorance, which means that you can't change it by your will. However, when you're dealing with the Christian faithful, um, they have a moral obligation to inform themselves. And that would include, for example, studying the catechism. The catechism talks about all these kinds of things uh, and a lifetime study of the catechism. Now, I know today, partially because of the interest, uh, emphasis of Vatican II and partially because of the Protestant converts, that everybody wants to study the Bible. And I think the Bible is wonderful. It's the inspired word of God. But you must be aware that it's very hard to understand in some places. The catechism is much more accessible and has many of these truths which you can discuss. So, in other words, if you had the ability to study something about your faith and reading the catechism and you just didn't do it because of laziness or because you weren't interested, you're responsible partially for that. However, if you commit a sin because a priest told you to do this and you trusted him because he's an authority figure, he would be much more responsible because it's a part of his vocation to know the truth and to be passed it on to the laity. So he's much more responsible because he's in a position of authority and power. And if he's negligent in this, then he'll be held much more to account. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Next up is Patrick in Washington, D.C., listening on Guadalupe Radio. Patrick, you are on with Father Brian Mullady. Father Brian, thank you for taking this call. I enjoy listening to you. I have a question. Uh, when Judas hung himself on the cross, when he died, did that, did that occur at the exact same time that Jesus was crucified, died on the cross? Oh, Jesus, I, I mean, Judas hung himself from a tree. Right, right. Um, we don't know. That's not said in the scripture. There might be some sort of tradition about that, but... Uh, we don't know, um, because our only source for this is the scriptures. Yeah. Apparently, it was an important question to the evangelists. So, and uh, all it does as says, as you know, is that he went on and hung himself. Period. But it doesn't say when. Next, we'll head to Fort Worth, Texas. Rudy is in Fort Worth, listening on Guadalupe Radio. Rudy, you are on with Father Brian Mullady. Hey, Rudy. Uh, yeah, good afternoon. Uh, yeah, thanks for taking my call. I was just, cause, uh, I was having a de- somewhat of a debate uh, between me and my daughter the other day. Just wanted to know, kind of clarify where exactly did evil come from? Was it was it introducing some humans like you know it's mankind when Eve bit the apple, or is it really with like Satan himself? And well, what also, evil are you talking? Also, like evil in general, like you know, just, just well, there's no such thing as evil in general. Oh, there's yeah, yeah. material evil and there's spiritual evil. If you're talking about spiritual evil, that began with Satan's sin. If you're talking about material evil, in other words, where the 
oh, you know, the lions eat the lambs and all that stuff. Uh, that's more or less a creation. Now, I know there's a tradition, and this partially comes with the beautiful vision in Isaiah, that all the animals got along well and things like that in Eden. And, but uh, that's that's a pious tradition. Um, the, the, the Nature carried on as nature will. Uh, man, as you know, did not experience death until he committed sin. But that was because God protected him externally from death. Not because he couldn't have died. And as soon as he commits the sin, God withdraws his external protection. And that's why man can, after that, experience death. But if you talk about moral evil, that begins with Satan. If you talk about physical evil, that just begins with creation. And remember, evil is defined as the lack of a due good. It's not a thing. It's a lack of a thing. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. We have an e- email from Tara, and she says, What does theology of the body teach us with regard to will we still be male or female in heaven? Okay, this is rather easy to answer, and actually its answer far predates theology of the body and actually goes back to Aristotle in a way. Remember, our bodies are not just receptacles in which our soul is created, um, nor are they prisons in which our soul is created. That's what Plato thought. In fact, Plato believed that the souls existed before they were put into the bodies, and the bodies limited them and gave them darkness and ignorance and things like that. And therefore, to be freed from the body totally was what the perfection of human beings was, which, of course, is what the Manichees believed, too, the people who were the heretics that had their successors in the Albigensians that thought that there was a god of evil and a god of good. Well, Aristotle said, no, that can't possibly be, because the soul and the body are in absolute unity with each other. They both make up the substance of man, so I could no, long, no more have your body than I could have the body of a duck because my body perfectly expresses my soul and some portion, now it could only be infinitesimal and miraculous, of the matter that makes up my body has to be present in my risen body too as expressing uh, this perfect union of body and soul. So in other words, to answer your question simply, if my body is male or female and exists in the union with the reasoning soul that is me, then when I rise from the dead, once my body is rejoined to my soul, my soul is the soul of a man and yours is the soul of a woman, and the body will um, be reunited, including the sex and quickly we'll head to david in memphis tennessee listening on iheart radio david just a couple minutes left with father Milady. what's your question today hello david are you there 
Well, apparently we've lost David. Uh, we do have another email here, though, from uh, Albert, and he says, The Apostles' Creed contains the phrase, Jesus descended into hell. Why does the Nicene Creed leave that out? Oh, I wouldn't know why they left it out of the Nicene Creed. You were not at that uh, council? No, and plus the fact that omissions, I have a feeling they weren't interested in that particular issue. Um, in the Apostles' Creed, we don't really know when the Apostles' Creed was formulated. There's a pious tradition, and it's a beautiful tradition in a way, because remember, the Creed represents the faith of all 12 of the Apostles. So there are 12 articles in the Creed. So the pious tradition is that when the Holy Spirit came upon them, each apostle stood up and uttered one of the 12 um, you know, phrases uh, that make up the Nicene Creed. I mean, not the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed. But that's a pious tradition. It was formulated sometime in the first century and had as its purpose to summarize the whole faith. The um, Nicene Creed, its primary purpose, had to do with answering Arius. And though they added other things to it, I'm sure that um, they weren't necessarily interested in every reproducing everything that had been done in the Apostles' Creed. Um, the harrowing of hell, though, is a long tradition. And it has a very beautiful explanation, by the way, of the Catechism. Uh, what's meant by hell there is um, not the hell in which people suffer, but it's the limbo of the just. So Christ goes to the place, because the gates of heaven weren't opened yet, where all the people that went before him waited till he died on the cross so they could go to heaven. So that that's, I don't really know why they omitted it for the Nicene Creed, though. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? May the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father Brian Milady, our producer, Michael McCall, our call screener, Matt Kubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Thursday. Back at it tomorrow, our very own Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan, will be in the house. Until we get together tomorrow with Colin, God bless. Music